Hi, Alex. Hi, Chris. What are you doing here? You're not Kara. I know. I I kidnapped her. She's in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Kara asked me this morning to step in, so here I am. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. We have a fascinating and important interview today. I'm not going to say fun because it's a heavy, heavy topic. It is. Um, yeah. Uh, but I had the good fortune, I will say good fortune in this case, to meet um, Dr. And I'm going to try to pronounce her name and then ask her to correct us. Uh, Dr. Glorious Uwazeyi. Most importantly, she's an assistant professor, brand new, just got her job at, at Western University in the Arthur uh, Labatt, I think, Family School of Nursing. And she is a mental health nurse who obtained her PhD in nursing from the University of Illinois, working with Julian Rutherford, who is a friend of the pod that we, we will have on in the near future. Um, and she also got a master's of nursing at the University of uh, um, KwaZulu Natal in South Africa. And um, she's Rwandan. She uh, will be talking about the Rwandan genocide and her experiences in it today. So trigger warning for those of you who may find uh, conversations about sexual violence, rape, and um, being a child of rape to be more than you can handle. That's the topic today. That's the what she grew up in. And those are the people she has been talking to, um, to find out how being a child of rape in genocide, the double burden of being exposed prenatally to that type of stress um, and also being the child of rape can impact your mental and physical health. She's interested in studying um, impacts of political, socioeconomic, and environmental factors on development and health in general. And then, as I say, her research program specifically focuses on the health impacts of genocide against the Tutsi and then epigenetic mechanisms linking prenatal exposure to genocide and genocidal rape and adulthood health outcomes. And I'll say I met her at the home of some of our colleagues at Dartmouth. Her postdoctoral advisor is Zane Thayer, who we have, who is also a friend of the pod and has been on the podcast and has an expertise in studying epigenetic mechanisms and uh, the role of, of trauma. So, so she's been in some great hands academically. Um, shall we bring her on? Yes, let's go. Let's, hello, how are you? Can you see us? Yes, I can. So I was getting ready to say it's good to see you again, but I'm still waiting to see you. It's good to hear you again. I don't know why the not turning off. It's okay. So video is just so we can actually uh, see each other's mouths moving and don't talk over each other. We can uh -huh. survive with without it. Um, I want to introduce you to Alex. Alex, uh, Dr. Alex Niklu is is one of our producers, but she's um, standing in for Kara today because Kara is unavailable. And so I'm going to take this first question as we uh, and and we'll sort of go back and forth. But we always start out the same way. Um, our podcast title, "The Sausage of Science," is sort of a play on how the sausage is made, what goes into the sausage. We want to know how the science is made, but we also want to know how the scientist is made. So. I wonder if you could give us your backstory. Tell us about you and how you came to be involved in academia and um, your now, congratulations, uh, new faculty. How you, uh, what, what led you to choose uh, academia as your, 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 life, your life course, your career? 
I want to start by saying thank you for inviting me and uh, uh, being interested in my uh, work and uh, giving me opportunity to share this with your audience, with you and the audience. Uh, I'm so um, happy to for this opportunity. Uh, I was born in Rwanda. Maybe I will start by uh, giving a little bit, uh, uh, talking about my background. I was born in... And really quickly, actually, I, I, I want to make sure everyone knows your name, right? Oh, okay. Because I don't know that my pronunciation was accurate. So can you pronounce your name for us? That would, that, let's start there. Okay. My name is Iglochies Wizeye. Mm. Um, I'm from Rwanda. Yeah, so um, I was born in Rwanda. And uh, as I was born, this was before the genocide, which I will talk about because that is where I focus my study. And uh, education in Rwanda, of course, was limited in general because the country, uh, developing country, um, so the education was quite complicated. It was not easy, especially for uh, before the genocide, where it was hard uh, uh, minority communities, ethnic groups to be able to go to school. But education in general in Rwanda is a uh, kind of like, and uh, people do value education, especially my parents, my father was really very, um, he really encouraged us to 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 study because of his uh, ethnic group that has had been hard for his school, but he has always wished us to study as much as, as, as we can. It's complicated for me because of the system, but I always study to learn, to know, to be able to write, to be able to uh, do think that I would see people in magazines like uh, people who uh, are doing some activities that would papers, ma magazines that I would see and I wished always to be like those people. So I studied hard and uh, it was hard before the genocide to imagine that I would be able to um, achieve a high level of education. But the genocide happened, and after the genocide, it was quite easy because opportunity was provided to different people, and I could be able to travel outside the country to come to America to do my PhD. And uh, being uh, going through the genocide, the experience of the genocide also pushed me to want to learn more, especially to conduct a research, research to be able to document, to be able to use my writings to advocate for uh, um, survivors. To, contribute to the improving their lived uh, their lives there so that was one of the reasons that I, I pushed myself to do phd and be able to do a research and document what has happened to my people i'm kind of curious as a follow-up you did your phd in nursing is that right yes that's right i in a nursing at university of chicago so how did you find your way to anthropology? So when I came for PhD, I wanted to study uh, the health impact of exposure to genocides, uh, specifically prenatal exposure to genocide. I focus on children who were conceived during the 100 days of genocide and look on uh, mental and the physical health outcomes of being exposed at that age. So when I was um, in my PhD, I attended a, a, a seminar and I was just there to take notes and somebody exposed, uh, did a, a present um, uh, 
intergeneration effect of exposure to stress and uh, and the trauma and talked about this. And I really felt this is something that I need to study, that I need to focus on. Going back to my um, advisor, but I told her what I want to, how I want to change my subject and focus on looking at the uh, intergeneration impact, intergenerational impact of uh, prenatal exposure. And she connected me with another professor who is uh, she anthropologist. She's uh, Dr. Julienne Rutherford. So that is how I go introduced to anthropology. And uh, later on, she when I completed research, and they wanted to specifically foc- look at the epigenetic uh, mechanisms that link the uh, prenatal exposure to genocide and genocidal rape and health outcome that I observed during my doctoral research. She connected me with uh, um, uh, Zen, um, who was my uh, advisor, uh, mentor for the postdoc. So today we wanted to actually talk about one of your more recent papers that you co-authored with Zane as well as with Julianne and Tom McDade and other uh, very important people in the field. Uh, so the paper is called Double Jeopardy, Young Adult Mental and Physical Health Outcomes Following Conception Via Genocidal Rape during the 1994 genocide against the Tutsi in Rwanda. You published that in Social Science and Medicine. And I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about um, that paper, uh, what what you were looking at specifically, what your methodology uh, was like, and then maybe talk a little bit about what you mean by the uh, double burden that you mentioned. That's a, a term that is commonly used in anthropology when we talk about obesity, but this is something else here, right? Uh, and uh, yeah, just tell us a little bit about the, the, the research and what you found. Thank you. The paper summary research, my uh, doctoral research that I conducted uh, um, in Rwanda, my research focused on, uh, as I said, conceived or young adult, but by the time I was uh, collecting um, young adult, they were in their 20s, early 20s. Um, uh, Rwandans who were conceived during the genocide against the Tutsi. And they are in place, um, there is a cut, the first cut, categories for those who were conceived inside the rape, who I call uh, double exposed because they were exposed to genocide, but they were also exposed to genocidal rape, which has more um, additional um, stress uh, due to the circumstances that these young people were conceived. I also have a group of young people, uh, um, young adult Rwandan who were conceived by genocide survivors, but who were not raped. I, in the paper, refer to them as a single exposed because they were exposed to genocide only. Not only, they, of course, they are the type of a child of a survivor, but uh, in terms of them or uh, with uh, those who are uh, exposed to genocide and genocide or rape, I just uh, I say single exposed. Then I have a control group of Rwandans who, out, who whose mothers were outside the country during the time of the genocide because prior to genocide there have been other political unrest that made Ben uh, or Tutsi uh, uh, to go outside the country. So there are uh, women who were already outside the country and they were not conceived, but they, it happened that they conceived during the time of the genocide and they came back because of the genocide. Many Rwandans who were outside the country, they returned to Rwanda. And I was able to recruit from that uh, population as a control group. Uh, I look at the uh, mental and the physical health outcomes. I did uh, measures. I collected, for example, uh, uh, I use uh, the scale of uh, to to see the um, post post traumatic stress disorder to look at the 
uh, physical and mental function using the SF36. I also um, um, corrected the um, adverse childhood experience because in addition to being exposed to genocide, there are also um, uh, adverse childhood experience, especially for those who were born of genocidal rape. Uh, I collected the data also on um, other measures, um, um, PTSD, as I said, depression, anxiety, uh, sleep. I also look at the, uh, uh, I collected anthropometrics. I did, I look at the height, weight, uh, BMI. Um, I also measured some skin folders. Um, I see, I also collected um, dry blood spots to look at the um, uh, CRP and look at the DNA uh, methylation, which I'm actually focusing on right now. So I did a variety, I call it an um, array of mental and physical health outcomes. As you read in the, uh, maybe to summarize the findings, I find out that those who were born of survivors were not genocide. They had the poorer mental and the physical health outcomes compared to those who were not exposed, those who were born of women who were outside the country during the day. But those who were born of genocidal rape, they have they had also additional um, uh, poorer health outcomes compared to those who were uh, born survivors only. So that is where it comes the this uh, uh, double burden, the double burden of exposure, but also additional health outcomes associated with uh, the, the the circumstances in which they were they were conceived and uh, if you look at the adverse childhood experience among this um, uh, group of uh, young adult born of genocidal rape you see that they have a higher level of adverse childhood experience which does interact with uh, the prenatal exposure and um, uh, kind of like increase their risk. I will note for listeners that if you look at the paper, there's a, a figure where uh, adverse childhood experiences are shown the moderation between those and um, double single and unexposed uh, with relation to depression, physical function, pain intensity, pain interference and PTSD are, are shown and the effects are so unambiguous and profound. Um, if this was not such a horrible story that we're telling, this is sort of the dream of, of data, right? You're seeing a really, really strong effect. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the strong effect is extraordinarily negative. So you note in the paper that your sample was, quote, a young, lean, healthy population, but so what does this mean for them? What does health mean for them? And what does double burden mean for them potentially in their lives? Thank you for the question. Uh, especially I talk about the, uh, the being young and lean in terms of physical health outcomes, which was not very uh, uh, apparent in, uh, uh, in, during this. Because these, these are young adults in their 20s, they're probably to show some of the effects, but it doesn't mean that it may go in the future. Uh, as they grow, as they age, as they, their health change, uh, some, they, they may, we may observe more uh, uh, physical health outcomes that we were not able to observe during this uh, study. This also was a cross-sectional study. So um, one of the 
to do a prospective study and follow up on this population as and as their social um econo social economic status changed is any change as the the, the time um, goes on so uh, Eileen, for example i didn't see uh, any difference between groups in terms of uh, bmi because in general rwandans i quite lean that there's no issue of obesity or um I also look at the uh, height in general they there was no a big difference but there was a difference between an exposed group and the double exposed those were um born of genocide or rape they were shorter compared to those who were born uh, who were not exposed to genocide or genocide or rape so what I mean by lean or health is just during the time that I collected data, they did many uh, physical, apparent physical uh, health outcomes that we could observe, but that it doesn't mean that in the future we may not observe them. But saying that, uh, also this study means that intervention, if there's intervention, if there's a follow-up, there's opportunity to keep these young people healthy, um, ensure that there's, if we can have mitigative uh, following up with these young people we can be able probably to uh, reverse or, uh, some effect of their prenatal exposure when you mentioned intervention what what would an intervention look like what do you what's your idea of how the results of your study could be implemented to actually benefit the population or are there already systems or you know public health initiatives in place that that may cater to you know, increased risk of depression, uh, for example, or anxiety or other other variables that you found that are increased uh, in the Rwandan population that was that survived or children of survivors of the genocide. Thank you for the question. So if you look at, for example, especially what is uh, interesting is the, the contribution of adverse childhood experience, which happened after the genocide. So, and young people conceived via genocide or rape, it took for uh, for intervention or for even if these children were born of genocide or rape or even for themselves uh, how they were born. So if we were to reverse the time, if for him, that just after the, if we, for, if we could, if the genocide didn't happen, that's like a primary prevention that would be ideal, that would not have, would not have to be studied to discuss this. But then after the genocide, if the intervention were, um, have been implemented as early as possible and uh, ensure that these uh, children, they, they, despite the prenatal exposure, they are growing up in conducive, less, um, situation where the social, the economic uh, uh, status are better or comparable to other uh, children, we, I think there is a chance of um, mitigating the effect of prenatal exposure, um, providing uh, the women who were uh, exposed to genocide or genocidal rape have also contributed to their lives. Until now, we still have what what can be done. We can look at their social uh, and economic status and target what they, are, they seem to be in a low category, especially uh, of um, uh, social and economic status, and also be able to up on their health. And if there is any um, health issue, be able to access treatment as soon as possible, provide uh, social, for example, in, in another study, 
I did, these young people, they find uh, uh, helpful to be with uh, younger that, that uh, they share the same experience, they can be able to share their experience, they can be able to open up, process any stress, any emotion uh, related to their, um, their lived experience, and that can help to reduce uh, the mental, can also affect their physical health, provide them opportunities to go to school, opportunities to make uh, if themselves, I think that can can be able to help in 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 terms of what could happen in the future. But again, following them up and the health issues that need care as soon as possible, that can also be very helpful. So I think overall, what what uh, the, the the findings shows is that the the there's opportunity to intervene as soon as we if we could do it as soon as possible. Uh, that would be very helpful and it can prevent uh, many issues. So in terms of identifying, you know, these avenues for intervention, right, I'm, I'm wondering what the adverse childhood experiences are, right? So I guess what, what I'm asking is, it's obvious that those doubly burdened fare worse with regard to adverse childhood experiences. And I wonder why, right? It seems obvious that if you've had two burdens, things would be worse for you, but I'm not clear on like the connection or what, what the adverse childhood experiences are and why there actually would be a connection between the double burden and having more. So could you give us some examples of what some of the experiences are? Is there a, an obvious connection between being doubly burdened and some of these experiences or is it just that they they maybe have poorer coping skills than other people? What do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. So here, the um, adverse childhood experience that I measured include things like a physical abuse, emotional abuse, living with uh, a, a parent or parents who have mental issues or social abuse or not having um, interaction with your um, in your neighborhood or the being abused by the, 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 the neighbors. Uh, this also being orphans. And uh, I, for example, in the in my study, I find out that most of the child, those were born of genocide, rape, they were not raised by their father and they don't know their father. Uh, same with um, a little bit better for those who were born of genocide survivors. Most of them, they don't have father because they, probably they are, parents were killed during the genocide, but for genocidal rape, I think maybe what I did explain well is that those who were born of genocidal rape, the fact of being born of genocidal rape means that you were born of a perpetrator. You were born of somebody who perpetrated the genocide against your family. So this, I want you to understand, this is the truth, being raised in a family where the father killed the, the, in the community, they um, perpetrated the rape against the mother, most of them, they, they are raised by in the family of the mothers, and you can understand what that means. And when I started looking at focusing on this population, it was during this time that the, we people would see these young, uh, these children as children of perpetrators. So there is a lot of uh, association or the seeing image of the father or this, the crime of the father on these children and the baby being mistreated because of the crime the father did to the mother, to the community, to the society. And uh, 
also that happened even before they could know that they were they were born of genocidal rape. Most of them, in a, a different study, most of them would say that they start asking who they are, how they were born, because of their lived experience, because of, of the connected with the prenatal exposure to genocide, conceived through rape. This also leads to most of other experiences they do experience. And also the mothers do experience quite a hardship because they conceived a child of perpetrator. Uh, it, it, the, 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 the understanding is changing, especially now these young people are, are grown up and they're speaking for themselves. They are telling the community we are children, we are Rwandan as we should be treated as uh, fair as, as the country is quite um, uh, trying to uh, um, see everybody as, as, as Rwandan. That is why um, the, the, the government of Rwanda decided to move away from the uh, ethnic groups to identify all Rwandans as, mm. as Rwandans. So as in a, a different study, I found this national identity, a way that these children are integrating in themselves in the country in the, and the claim, claiming to be uh, as Rwandan as any other Rwandan and uh, be able to uh, have um, uh, be treated as but in, if I may be in short, the adverse childhood experience, they are linked with the way that they were conceived. Yeah, that, was a, that was a great explanation. And I just wanted to throw in uh, before Alex has a chance to ask the next question that, um, and one of the things I wanted to preface our whole interview with, which you laid out beautifully in your introduction, but I failed to, was for those listening, if you haven't if you don't remember or weren't alive to uh, experience uh, even overseas or, or through the news or whatever, what happened, um, 350,000 Tutsi women were raped as a systematic weapon of war, right? So I think when we, when we think about this, it's not a casual or a peripheral thing. It was central to what happened in that genocide. And, um, so I just wanted to add those those numbers into your explanation. Yeah, I think I think I think really putting those numbers out there is important to to really show how systematic and how ingrained this is now in Rwandan uh, history. Uh, but I was curious because you did mention that uh, so that the the children or now adults uh, that were born from survivors do do you see them having different coping mechanisms depending of uh, whether they are children of the uh, double burden or not. And do you see, I know you mentioned that uh, there are different ways that these kids are perceived or were perceived uh, early on, right? As children of traitors versus not children of traitors if they were not children of the double burden. But do you see maybe now, 20 years later, uh, uh, a change in the general perception of these now adults, right? Do you, or in coping mechanisms between these two groups, do you do you see maybe a shift in how their identities are perceived by others? Yeah, thank you. That's a good question. It, it wasn't like the focus or a question that in my research, but we talk as a Rwandan and uh, somebody who have been interviewing these uh, population a couple of times. I see the change. Yes, I do see the change. I see now these young. I the first time I 
I interviewed the mothers, I could not talk with the children, mothers of the children who were born of genocidal rape, because there was there was still this issue of even if the children know that they were born of genocidal rape. So I would say that now the majority of them they know how they were born, which has changed a lot because before they will maybe experience um, some abuse and it was happening, it was a little bit confusing. And I think from another when they learn how they uh, were born, and I think they can make sense of their lived experience, make sense of the reaction from the community, the mothers, from whoever that they know why they're treated, where they're treated, or even make sense of who they are, why they don't have a father, why they don't have, they don't know maybe the father's uh, family's side. So that has explained, and I think it has made them kind of like move forward and uh, build some uh, coping mechanism with the reality that they face. When I went to do data collection for this particular study that I reported in this paper, I met with uh, some of the same young people that I interviewed before. And surprising to see how even for themselves they have shifted to see themselves as a uh, member of the community who should contribute to make change in their, lived, in their lived experience, but also in the life of the country, reconciliation, taking care of their mothers who are now um, aging and they are now younger people. They are, some of them, they, they are at university or they are working and they see themselves uh, even for the mothers. And uh, the country has moved having the identity card uh, with uh, um, ethnic groups to uh, identity of being Rwandans, and it has changed a lot. There, there have been also another movement of uh, children of perpetrators uh, of genocide who have claimed also their Rwandan identity and claim to be not seen as their father's um, experience or crimes. And I think that has helped the country to try and see Rwandans uh, as a community different way and not necessarily associate the crime of individuals or, or a group to everybody who is related with uh, that group. I think that has happened, has helped a lot with uh, the general pers uh, perspective, uh, the way that people see these younger, that, uh, but also the way that they see themselves. Uh, I haven't yet done any research to see at the family level, at the individual level, at the community level with those who are directly affected. But I think in general, there is a change and there's a positive change. And I think this also is reflected in how the Rwandan society is building itself. How, um, how willing are they to talk to you? What, what, what is their sort of re response to, uh, to your interest in interviewing them about their life experience in this way? Yeah, interestingly, thank you. Interestingly, the young people born of generation are very willing to talk to me because they want their story to be out. They also want to find out how what has happened to them affected their lives now, uh, which in a, a moral um, um, day like that, to, uh, I'm preparing to go back and share the result of this uh, study with them so that they know, because they express that they wanted to know how the, um, the, 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 the way that they were conceived affected their, their, their lives. 
But what was a little bit interesting is that children born of survive. It was a little bit harder, not very hard, but it, it took. I made an extra step to explain and recruit them for my. I sense a little bit of um, uh, low trust in. The, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm yet to find out what that means, but it took me to explain to uh, pass through uh, the, the somebody who know them to recruit them for my study, which was quite interesting. I know that lack of trust uh, can be related with the trauma or maybe the way that we talk we discuss things in our families. Uh, I don't know, but it was interesting for me that it was a little bit harder to reach out to to get to recruit those genocide survivors not to rape versus those who were uh, born of genocidal rape by way born of genocidal rape they usually want to share their story they want their experience their lived experience to be known and uh, especially to contribute to prevent this thing to others and but also to contribute to the reconciliation to the rebuilding of the country I find it interesting that you say you have a moral debt to them. That's a that's an interesting way to put that. I do feel that moral debt because I feel I need to go back and talk to them. But I also want to work with them in the future to design a research that doesn't only answer the question that they have as, of course, I'm Rwandan part of the, 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 the community, but I also want to hear some of the questions they, they have um, and they would like us to uh, study and have a participatory study and be able to work with them to um, understand their lived experience, understand the effect of what have gone through and design some intervention or write, uh, advocate, advocate for themselves. So I'm looking forward to do something a little bit more and more participatory. Thank you for doing this work. It can't be easy, right? This is incredibly difficult to do. And uh, I'm, I'm very grateful that there are people like you out there who do this work and and tell those stories and, and record this uh, for, for, for people to know and then come on podcasts like ours to, to really make sure that people hear uh, those stories and know, know what's going on and how these effects can impact multiple generations over the years. So uh, thank you very much for doing this. But this is this is really exciting. You have a new job. You're going to be assistant professor at Western University in London, Ontario, right? Yes, and... I am. I've already started. Oh wow! Congratulations! Awesome. Thank uh, so you. I was wondering, are you gonna are you gonna continue with this work, or do you have new projects? Is is maybe looking at uh, some of these questions that we talked about today uh, part of part of your research future or? Uh, tell us a little bit what you have, what's in store for you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so the the reason I took this position was for me to be able to continue to do my research. Uh, as I said before, I'm planning to um, do a prospective study. So I want to follow up on these young, probably um, increase the sample, in, uh, recruit those uh, other um, other control groups that I can be able to do some um, uh, comparison between groups. Uh, for example, those who were born before genocide or those who were conceived after the genocide. So I'm going to continue to do the same study, mainly following up this um, population and see how their health um, 
they 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 age as they also have I'm interested to look at the children born of this um, particular uh, population I'm, look, I'm studying to look at how, um, whether and how the trauma is passed to the next generation. And also if I get opportunity to uh, um, work with those who are pregnant to see their pregnancies. So we can the same research program, but expand it and do a prospective user approach and ask more questions that I were not able to ask during my um to expand and, and understanding of um, the effect of this uh, horrible experience on that society. Wow. That's so much. Uh, I, I echo Alex. Thank you for for doing this work, it's important. Thank you for coming on here to share it with us. And, and we definitely wanna have you back as you, you learn more. It, it's so applicable in so many areas of human biological research that on the one hand, it's difficult to talk about because it's such a traumatic and horrible thing, but the implications for, for what you're doing in terms of uh, telling the story, helping Rwandans, and then you know, you're, you're, you're also making a major contribution to science by, by showing really clearly the, the negative consequences that can last over multiple generations of, of this type of trauma. So thank you. And then I also wanna acknowledge that you're a whole human and you don't live in trauma, that you have uh, a family and that you have dreams and goals and, and, and have fun. So we always wanna end by asking what other things a person does to complete them? And in particular, you know, I got to meet your husband and hear about, uh, I think he was, he had a coffee business at one point. And yes. I want to hear uh, about you, how, how you're both doing and, and more about the other side of you. And first, I want to say thank you for having me and, and giving me this opportunity to talk about my research. I don't know if I deserve to, um, you, you, I feel like you don't have to say thank you because I think this is a moral responsibility I carry as a, as a survivor of the genocide and uh, uh, Rwandan. Um, so I'm kind of like uh, I'm doing my, what I'm supposed to be doing. And uh, yeah, I was happy to see you and to learn about what you do and connect. It's always good to do something else, especially when I, I study uh, um, um, something that is really related to me. Sometimes it's hard and uh, going through this and uh, being able to think about something else is also relaxing and helpful, uh, helps me to keep moving. Um, yeah, my husband um, does is, has been uh, involved in a coffee business. Right before we came to America, he was uh, um, working for, the, there's a family coffee business uh, in Rwanda. Uh, uh, working for and um, the coffee is very good they do um, very high quality coffee uh, it's called Kivu Belt you can look at Amazon is there it's very we will miss it we don't get to get it here as much as we, we wish so um, yeah we do enjoy coffee I, he has been very supportive and uh, during the time of my study and uh, we are looking forward to uh, start new life here and can't wait to see flowers. Uh, my children are very happy uh, finding that 
kind of settle for a while, being a student and moving from place uh, from a place to place. It's hard, but they are now relaxing and they are having some dream. And um, it's it's nice to be here in London. It's not as uh, uh, big as uh, uh, it's bigger than. Of course, we miss the not uh, the, the beauty of Hanover people and the river. It looks Hanover actually looks like Rwanda, so it was in a place in terms of like hills and the river and the weather. The feel of Rwanda for me. So London is a little bit bigger, and um, but we are looking forward to enjoy spring and summer and uh, yeah. And connect with people a little bit more now that we'll be able to be outside. That's fascinating. Thinking yeah. of Hanover as analogous to Rwanda blows my mind a little bit. But that tells you how little I've traveled the world. So, yeah, please visit Rwanda. By the way, I like to end with the when after talking about the genocide, I always like to say that there is no any smell for genocide in Rwanda. The safest country in the, in, in Rwanda in 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 the world. Very beautiful country and the people kind so it is completely different from what when you think about the genocide and and go to rwanda this time it's completely a different country please visit rwanda and if listeners want to know more about your work do you mind if they reach out to you is there a way they can get a hold of you with email or website or anything like that i i do not mind uh this time you can Google the name and get to uh, find out where I am. But I, I, I will be happy to um, connect with uh, whoever is interested to learn more, to work with me on this project because this is inter research and it has um, opportunity to collaborate on other issues related to genocide to Rwanda to whatever that people are interested in. I will be happy to connect. Wonderful. We'll put your email address in the show notes then. Yes, please. 